Welcome, welcome. This is the Simply King Podcast, and this is your boy Rodney Perry King himself. And you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being humans. And I have a special one, a return guest that I'm so, 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 so happy to be speaking with. Because to be quite to be quite frank, we literally spoke right before the world ended and changed and, and was changed forever. So it's kind of special, you know, <laughs> to bring her back uh, to not only um, to catch up, but also speak about what's going on with her now. Okay, I have back with me a great guest. If you remember a great episode that I had where she was releasing a book, you know, dedicated to her younger sister, Chloe. She's now back about to re-release, or I believe release this new book coming up. Everyone, everyone, please welcome again and welcome back to Simply King Podcast. The author, the writer, the creative, photographer, documentarian, St. Clair Dietrich Jewels. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Did I say your name right? I feel like I, I, I always like yeah. guess, I always second guess. Like I'll be in a role and then be like, <laughs> I don't know if I did that. But, <laughs> but no, how, how, no you, got it, you got it perfectly. Some A lot of people mess it up, but you got it right. Oh, how do they, how do they usually pronounce your, uh, your um, cause you have, I'm assuming you have like two last names, right? Yeah. They'll say like Detrick. Detrick? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> hmm. You know what? Maybe it, maybe it's maybe I'm in a good spot because um, I actually went to school with someone where that was their first name. Like you pronounce their first name that way. So oh, interesting. maybe maybe that's why I kind of, you know, already had the experience and I had to line up on them uh, in football all the time. So me and him were very familiar with each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I have um, my first first question to you more than anything is how have you been? Because like I just said, we literally spoke right before everything changed in the world that we knew it. So I would love to know, how have you been and what's, what's been going on? How has 2020 treated you? Yeah, wow. It's, ooh, it's, it seems like a whole other lifetime sort of thinking about pre-pandemic. Um, but I think that, you know, the beginning of the pandemic was, was pretty rough, just sort of trying to figure things out and figuring out what I was going to do, especially as a photographer, you know, and filmmaker, I like going out and I like documenting things and people. So I sort of have had to shift and sort of decide, okay, what am I going to be doing that's indoors without any contact with anyone from the outside world for a while? <laughs> so sort of had to pivot a bit. Um, but on the bright side, it also sort of gave me a chance to edit my book, go back through it, work with an editor, that kind of thing. Luckily, all stuff that can be done virtually but yeah it's been it's been crazy and then the black lives matter protests last last summer in 2020 i felt like that was a really big shift for a lot of us so i mean you know we already knew what was what was going on but a lot more people i think became aware Oof, man i i can only imagine and you know i really think that um I, I, I always, always must say that, you know, 2020 truly brought so it was everything. Like, I feel like we went through everything. We went through death, pain, um, sadness, sickness and health, like like all the things that you would hope wouldn't happen within a year. I feel like all happened amidst having a terrible, you know, political administration to go through that with. Um, and, and people still, you know, politicizing the sheer nature of people dying, if this is a real thing. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you made it to the other side. Um, and I hope that, you know, all those around you and close to you and your family as a whole were, you know, affected and impacted in a strong way, because I know there are so many that really were. Yeah, I, I feel really blessed. I feel really blessed that my family and I, you know, all made it out. And I hope the same for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was blessed. I feel blessed too. I truly do. I feel like you know, I, I don't know where I would have been if I, you know, if that if that would have been a situation because it really could have been any of us. You know, I definitely caught COVID at the end of last year, and um, yeah, it was it was a hell of an experience. And I would say that compared to a lot of the people, my my experience was a lot. Uh, was 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 mild, I would say. You know, I didn't feel like, you know, that I was losing parts of myself and even in within recovery, didn't feel like 
oh, I don't, I, I'm not even, I don't know. Just, I, st- I feel like I could, st- I could breathe. I feel like I could breathe very similar to the way I was before, all those different things. But I don't know. Um, but to talk about, because you spoke on editing the book. Now, let's talk more about that specifically. What drove you to want to edit the book? Was there any um, influence prior to the kind of the awareness of the, you know, the looming pandemic that was coming into our lives? Or was it uh, some type of creative decision, too? Yeah, mostly a a creative decision. Um, I mean, although the pandemic definitely just sort of gave me the time that I needed to sit back and sit with the work. And I think it was nice because, as you mentioned earlier, I had started working on this project way before the pandemic happened and sort of had a draft of it before the pandemic started. And so it was nice to sort of um, get a little bit of space from it. And then, you know, in 2020, sort of rework what I had, look at it with a fresh set of eyes. I um, re-interviewed a couple of people, right? Because there are 101 women featured in the book. So I went back, I re-interviewed a couple of people. Um, I asked them about the Black Lives Matter protests and if that relates to their hair at all. Um, yeah, so I feel I feel like sort of having the time to go through that. And again, this time having an editor with me because I feel like I've been looking at my book so much. Um, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to know, you know, like, does this make sense? Is this order good? So having an editor there sort of guiding me, you know, with a fresh set of eyes was really helpful too. That's really cool. I guess I would love to know, I know that might not be the most, um, I don't know, uh, uh, fun parts of, you know, the kind of administrative aspects of, you know, creativity, but I would love to know more about just, you know, how did you go about kind of finding an editor? Did you have to, you know, kind of sit down with several different editors before you found the right one? Or was there kind of just someone that, you know, you already gelled with who was already within that space who could assist you? Yeah, no, I, I didn't know them before. So I ended up getting an agent right before the pandemic, actually. Um, I got a literary agent and then she was able to get me a publishing deal with Chronicle Books, uh, which is a publishing house based in California. And so Kudos they're- to her. Yeah. yeah. So again, lucky everything's virtually because I could, you know, just connect with them all virtually. Um, yeah. And so they, they provided me with, with an editor just sort of helped me go through everything. And, and they also provided a designer. So they have a designer who sort of redesigned, you know, I had a general idea of what I wanted to look like and this designer sort of, I guess, you know, edited the, you know, the book visually a bit. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did that aspect feel? Like, I know, you know, I feel like I've heard this about screenwriting, but I'm assuming that is you can really use it for all types of forms of writing that, you really aren't a writer until you can rewrite something. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that phrase, but how yeah. did it feel? Because I would assume that you've already, you know, created so many different renditions of the book before you even got to, you know, when it was still in this Dear, Dear Chloe rendition. How did it feel having a new set of eyes and kind of having, uh, instead of just your own personal criticism, additional external criticism uh, of your creativity, of your creation? Yeah. Yeah, it, I think... It was nice to have someone completely outside of the house because I had had other people like, you know, close to me sort of take a look at the book before, but it it still wasn't the same because they had been sort of helping me along with the book throughout the, you know, along the way. So it was nice to have someone who had never seen it in any version before. Um, And then the vision for the book, they sort of helped me change the vision for the book a little bit. So it's still, I mean, right, I still created this because I want to teach my little sister to love her natural hair. I want to teach Chloe to love her afro. Um, but my, but Chronicle and my editor wanted to make it a little bit broader and inclusive of all Black women and girls, you know, not just my sister. And so that's something we focused on. You know, there's still, there are still letters to my sister Chloe throughout um, but there's also more of an emphasis on the women in the book talking to all black girls and all black women, you know, to make it more relatable. So I think that's one of the biggest things that that's changed. And then the order of things, right, sort of seeing how all of these little snippets um, piece together, what interviews should go where, that kind of thing. Yeah. And well, I'm glad I'm glad that you can, you know, describe that with, the, you know, with a good smile on your face, because I, I know that, you know, 
people sensitive about their shit, you know, and I understand if you kind of like, hold on, what you mean you don't want me to, it's about my sister. This was the, you know, <laughs> and like stand your ground on that, but I'm glad that, you know, you found a middle ground with that, with that editor and with that, with that particular guidance, because um, it genuinely may make the biggest difference and still, you know, and people, and, 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 it, and who knows, it could be a full circle moment where the, uh, the reception is like, it's so endearing and she's talking to her sister and that's the part that I connected with the most. And like, so it, it, I could still, you know, do exactly what you intended in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I, and I did, you know, I obviously like the idea of it being called Dear Chloe and being fully, fully about my sister. But I, I do think that they had a really good point in terms of broadening the audience and I definitely trust that they know what they're doing and that's really what I've wanted this whole time is just a team of people sort of guiding me in the right direction because for the whole you know the whole time for a few years when I was working on the book everything was sort of on my own and I had no idea what was industry standard if I was doing things right if there were certain things that I should be changing so a lot of me was just you know a big part of me was just grateful to have <laughs> to have that guidance and they were also really really thoughtful in all of their feedback and really made sure that they weren't um, overstepping any boundaries, especially as like my editor, for example, is a white woman. Um, so from the beginning, she was like, if I say anything that's offensive, if any of us say anything that's problematic or offensive, mm -hmm. definitely say that right away. So just from the beginning, it was an open environment, I think, in, in a lot of ways. And that's good. And kudos to, you know, for, to them for, you know, at least doing that and setting that as a, a standard out the gate, especially in 2019. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. I, <laughs> I feel like any, any, um, at least for me, I'm going to speak for myself, definitely any particular, you know, um, sense of generosity, sense of, you know, particular things, I definitely think, think of them differently now. We're definitely living in a, you know, a, a pre-pandemic and post, you know, and you know, I guess pandemic and post-pandemic era uh, where it's kind of like, you know, a lot of things occurred that affected all of us. Um, and even in the midst of all those, of there being a universal uh, calamity occurring, there's still some sense of the worst, there's still worse things happening to, you know, uh, you know a, a few, the few of, of specific, you know, part of us. And um, it's, it's, it's fucking unfortunate because it's like, damn, like, we all should just be in the house trying to stay well, and yet we still, you know, have to deal with this. Like, like we shouldn't even be outside for real, you know? Um, but yet, we still got to deal with this. But, you know, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but I do want to pivot somewhat within that realm of things. Um, and one thing I wanted to, you know, ask you was a kind of a, a thought process that I was introduced to. Um, and, and, it, and I was glad that I was introduced to it because I am a man who has locks I definitely have my own you know very you know I won't even call them tragic but unfortunate stories of you know discrimination because of my locks uh within you know working trying to find work luckily I'm a person who really never cared to work for anyone so that that didn't <laughs> hurt my ego too much but it in that time of you know college age and high school age and all these different things I wanted a job like damn I didn't you know and but I would love to know, you know, within, when it comes to, you know, the research that you've done and the work and the images and the stories that you've captured, when it comes to the phrasing, you know, the personal is political, I feel like it's, when you think about black hair, I feel like that's exactly what that usually is connected with. Like, you choosing to cut your hair is a political statement. You know, a woman choosing to cut her hair, a woman choosing to grow a fro, a woman choosing to have a particular, you know, really embrace her particular texture always comes off to be this, you know, seen as this political statement like she's now earthy and she's more political and more militant and all these things and that may not even be the case they may be the furthest things from that they may be the most corporate and straight and narrow and conservative individual in the world they just want they just want to present in that way i guess what has been your experience in those you know narratives without giving too much of the book away yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, because um, yeah, they got got to buy this. You got to buy this. But I, I would love to know, you know, what has been your experience in, you know, within that research and within collecting these stories and understanding and being faced with that political versus personal uh, idea. Yeah, I think that you know several of the women brought it up 
when I was talking to them about the book and when I was interviewing them for the book. I think that that's a really interesting idea. And one of the biggest things I realized from creating the book is that there's no single truth, you know, different people can have different truths. So for some black women or black men or anybody, right? Um, your hair can be a political statement. And then for others, it might just be, you don't, you don't have time to, you know, go to the hair salon or whatever, um, you know, to get it relaxed. So I think that there's definitely a different story for every woman. Um, one of the women in the book says that she, you know, she says something along the lines of people might look at me and think I'm, you know, very political, very radical because I have an Afro. And she says, it's not like I'm against any of that stuff, but I just have an Afro because my hair was falling out when I was perming it. I didn't want to go bald, you know? <laughs> so for her, exactly. It didn't have anything to do with, you know, with politics or her, or her beliefs. But then for some women, it has a lot to do with how they see themselves and how they see their, how they see their blackness. Like there was one woman who was talking about getting uh, her DNA test and finding out, you know, the countries where she had roots in Africa. And she said that since then she hadn't been straightening her hair. And she realized that during the interview, she was like, actually, now that I think about it, I haven't straightened my hair since I did that DNA test, you know, and figured out exactly where all my roots are in Africa, you know? So that was more, you know, political or identity based for her. So not, not just one single truth, I think. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting. I always, you know, I think identity has became a political thing, you know, but it's, it's crazy how like that is the basis of, you know, who you are, like what you come with and how you identify is, you know, truly an, a question of who are you? And it's crazy that that in itself is one that is um, a political thing, you know? And I feel like, you know, I, I genuinely just think it's the matter of the world that we live in. I don't think that we would really toil with these particular identity politics if we didn't have, uh, you know, this kind of, this the system of America being, you know, very white, white, white superiority and all these different things because they know who they can, I guess, identify each other, but they want to make sure they can identify everybody else that doesn't look like them. <laughs> so who are you and are you going and are you this type of, you know, whatever that I can understand? Cause that's all I get. And hence why there's so much, uh, so much uproar about, you know, now, now about kind of like gender politics. And it's like really p putting people in these situations of like, well, well, hold on. So you saying that this, Oh, I, and them just getting kind of mixed up in things. And, and to me, it's kind of like at the end of the day, if it's just a question of who you are, not who you are, so then I can know how to treat you. <laughs> I feel like, you know, if all that matters is you being who you are, then it shouldn't matter how you present and what you choose to do. It is what it is. You know, it's different different things. But um, That reminds I, me of, I think it's a James Baldwin quote. Doesn't he say... Uh, something along the lines of black people don't need white people, white people need black people, and they need to figure out why they need black people. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's um, I like that, though. And I think that's very, very accurate because it's kind of like, and even when you think about um, within art, you know, um, I, I don't, I, I remember my, I think it was my seventh or eighth grade art teacher saying it, and, um, and I thought it was kind of profound for a white woman to say this because it felt like she said it with that in mind, like she said that uh, white is the absence of color while black is the presence of color. And then she all like she but she made it she like made it a moment, you know what I'm saying? Like she made it real deep. And I'm like, hmm, okay, all right, okay, you know, so what is that idea of whiteness without uh the other extreme? Like how valuable is whiteness if you know there's nothing to really give some type of balance to? And I believe that's the thing. Like, if we, I, I truly have always felt, I, I said last year when George Floyd happened that um, it felt like a cultural reset. You know, I think in the midst of this pandemic, you had people trying to find ways to still have joy. Um, and you had things like the verses and people, you know, doing DJ battles and people, you know, connecting through live and creating just avenue, people just really becoming together because they had to people who within, you know, who cohabitate within their family and homes had to now be in each other's faces and spaces. 
fathers were now learning who the hell their children were. <laughs> you know, people were realizing how bad the kids are or, or, you know, how school's really been going and all these different things. And I think if yeah. anything, it was probably whimsically bringing us together and bringing us closer, even if it was for, you know, a very um, unpredictable reason. I think it was a cultural reset to kind of remind like, hey, don't don't forget who got power. Don't forget, you know, what's going on. We still hate y'all. Y'all don't need to be blissful and happy and OK and and feeling, you know, empowered in some way, shape or form, because that's to me what I kept noticing. I kept noticing people speaking to, you know, wanting to pivot, speaking to, you know, not enjoying their jobs or feeling kind of, you know, or, or, or just for the first time, finally feeling like, oh. All the things my job said we couldn't do, we now can do. You said we could never work remote. Now we're working remote. You said we could never miss a day or have this particular thing as a policy. We have to be in office or we have to consistently do this. And you have people literally having only four-day work weeks and <laughs> and all these different things. And so it's like, so y'all was, you know, really bullshitting us the whole time. And I'd rather not be here. Or, or, or just the simple fact of what happened, you know, with the rising of, you know, of racial tension and your company reacting to that and it being like, damn, I never really had to have an opinion, which most black people never really have, have to have an opinion about a workplace. They can kind of just already assume that it's going to be something that you have to adjust to if it's majority white. Just learning that, A, they don't care. They have yet to say anything, do anything, try to make amends or better yet, they already are somewhat um, invested into our sense of oppression, but um, but I I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox, but I love I you, you, you give me that you give me that, but <laughs> I, I I would say that um, I love I, like I said you know in the original uh in the first episode that we did I really enjoy the goal and the messaging of your book because I think um you can never get enough of these particular conversations and I think so many people, so many black people believe that, you know, the subject matter of, you know, black hair and just black identity and all these different things are somewhat oversaturated at this point in time. But I think we really don't understand the grand scheme of how, how few of like our American, you know, perspective uh, is truly a, you know, a worldwide perspective, you know, and I feel like I meet different people who have, you know, been able to travel or people who are international and them not know something about my particular lifestyle and existence. And I'm like, that's interesting. You know, they may know this objective sense of what blackness is, but in terms of just a black American experience, they still miss so many different parts and pieces. So I thank you for dedicating to, you know, capture so many different people, like a hundred, 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 you know, a hundred people is, it's hard to get a hundred people in a room. So I can only <laughs> imagine what it was like, you know, gathering all of these different women to get these particular you know conversations and um, expressions from them how how emotional was it for you to kind of take all these things in within your kind of collecting stories for this book yeah I think I mean most of let's see I want to say most of the emotions were positive um there was so much joy in creating this project and you know especially I had just graduated from Brown which is obviously a PWI um but so really <laughs> <laughs> I always love it about Brown 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 University as you know <laughs> and Rhode Island you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um really I felt like it was nice to be you know, coming out of that intentional to really spend time with black women. Um, so that was, that was really nice and comforting and healing in a lot of ways, I think, because even though I did start embracing my hair sort of ironically in, in college, because there was sort of like a very close knit, um, you know, black community within the school, I still had a little bit of um, self-doubt or maybe even self-hate around my hair, you know, it's like I would tolerate it, but I didn't really embrace it and appreciate it for all that it is. And so I sort of just see it as 101 affirmations that I got, <laughs> mm. um, you know, through Black women telling, you know, sharing their hair stories with me. And some of them were definitely, you know, traumatic. Some of them were hard. There's one woman whose mother, um, like, forcibly, like, put her on the ground and, and forcibly placed the relaxer on her head, you know. So there are 
Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of trauma around around our hair. I mean, as we all know, and then you know, societal standards, people getting sent home from work. One woman got sent home from the principal's office because she had an afro, you know, she didn't straighten her hair that day. And I think, you know, what, what you said um, earlier, some people have been complaining about uh, natural hair is like saturating everything. There's too much talk about it. But I feel like until, at the very least, until the Crown Act passes nationally, how can we stop talking about black hair, right? When in more than half the country, you still can't even wear your, you know, your boss or your school still has the right to discriminate against you for your natural hair. So I think that, you know, it's important that we continue talking about hair until, until really and truly there is no more hair discrimination. And even after that, because I think that there's a beauty in our hair that doesn't have to do with politics, right? It's, it's beautiful, the kind of hair texture that we have. And there's a reason for our hair texture, you know, like biologically. So I think that, yeah, I think it's been a beautiful experience for me sort of getting to learn about all these different hair stories and, and it's been affirming. I love that. I'm glad, I'm glad that it was joy. That was the emotion and um, emotion expressed within kind of gathering these things because I personally, you know, enjoy you know, conversations, you know, especially when I'm invited to conversations about hair, because it 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 kind of, you know, opened something up in me that I didn't even know was there. It's like uh, a particular connection or a particular perspective that I just didn't even know I had, you know, because it's kind of like when you are, you know, when you're a man, you really aren't going around talking about your hair that often, you know, to other men. And I think, uh, the spaces where I'm usually, you know, conversing about my hair are usually with other women, other black women uh, asking me how long have I had it or, you know, asking to do it. <laughs> who who does it? I, I, you know, I do, you know, I do locks and that type of thing. But it, it I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And I'm glad that it came from a space of joy. But I, I wanted to get into a very specific uh, conversation on the same, you know, in the realm of this topic. Uh, and that that is on texture. I think, you know, there's been, you know, so much conversation since the, to me, what I feel like the boom of, you know, this kind of natural hair movement, which I feel like, you know, really kind of took off in, you know, the mid, I guess right before the 2010s and things, uh, and really started to shift and change more products, more mainstream products started to pop up and appear with on, you know, on store, on store counter and store counters and, um, and just on shelves. Um, there started to be, you know, more conversations about, you know, are there is there enough space for these things and and speaking to all these different things. And I thought that was great. And then I quickly realized how there was still some splintering or fringe opinions on, hey, these products are really just for very particular types of texture. This is not really a even though this is made by a black woman or made at least with a maybe a black facing company or whatever it may seem like. They're kind of, you know, for the blacks, it's still kind of segmented. You know, it's still not for everybody. These things don't work for everybody. Now, I understand products and beauty are not sometimes, it's hard to make a one-size-fits-all type of situation. But in, but in terms of hair texture, it seemed to be um, a very, you know, controversial uh, situation to where anytime there's new products that come out, there's always this understanding like, hey, is this for 4C hair? Is this for, you know, like what... Like, if you just, you know, look, we, we love you, you're cute, your hair looks great, but my hair is not, my hair doesn't do that. My hair isn't that texture. If I put this in there, it's not going to do that. So tell me, do you have something for my hair to do what I know my hair can do, you know? And I would love to know, you know, from your own personal experience, but also, you know, the things that you gather as well, you know, how was that particular, you know, how has that affected you? And, um, and also the people that you've interviewed as well. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that I don't actually use too many products on my hair, which is funny because a lot of the women in, in the book, you know, when I asked them for advice to my little sister, they were like, find products that work for your hair. Um, and I know that, you know, especially with the rise of YouTube and even like social, like social media tutorials on Instagram and stuff. I know that a lot of women who I talk to have been really grateful for that because they can find women 
with their exact hair type, telling them what products to use and how to sort of how to brush it, all those kinds of things. And so I think it's I think it's good that there is so much representation now and that there are so many um, black women with different hair types. Um, should giving these tutorials that all black women, you know, can find tutorials that work for them. Um, and then for me with my hair, I mean, my hair isn't, um, as cur like it, the curl pattern isn't as tight, but my mom is actually white. Um, so I'm biracial and my mom's conditioner and shampoo, you know, I would just always use what she had, but hers was for straight hair. And so, you know, it, I, I eventually realized, I don't know, maybe when I was in middle school, I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to check out a different kind of, you know, shampoo and conditioner that, that will work better on my hair texture. Because I think that, that is important, you know, matching with the hair texture. Um, and I think it's also important, aside from products, I think we definitely need to be inclusive as, you know, an, a natural hair movement of all hair textures, especially sort of like the tighter curl patterns that do often get left out when it comes to, you know, conversations about natural hair, or even when it comes to influencers, you know, I've heard some black women say they feel like the influencers, like the black naturalistas who get the most followers are sort of maybe lighter skinned and have looser curl patterns. And so I've definitely heard women talk about the need for more women with 4C hair sort of at the forefront of this as well. Mm. Was there any pushback as to, you know, when you engage with these hundred, these 101 different women, was there any pushback as to, you know, who you are and how you represent and all the identity and intersections that you possess when it came to you culminating this, you know, all these stories and things like that? Because I can, you know, I won't say I can understand, but I, I can at least imagine a world where it's like, you know, why are you doing this type of thing if this isn't a, uh, a particular issue that you've face in the exact same way yeah yeah I mean I definitely think there's a scale in terms of what people face and I think that black women with darker skin and 4c hair definitely face more you know um more more discrimination and so as someone in the book says you know the path to self-love might be a little harder for them um but I think that ultimately regardless of you know exact curl pattern there there's discrimination that that we faced and I I feel actually like I, I think that black people are just in general a very inclusive group I feel like we're inclusive of people who are mixed with other races you know one of the women in the book is uh, half black half Japanese and she said that in high school right and, and in high school people can suck, you know, <laughs> you know how high schoolers are. And they're yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she was saying just that she felt that she never really was fully accepted by the Japanese community at that high school or by the Asian community at that high school, even though mm. she is half Asian, right? So she's Asian. Um, whereas she felt, you know, like she completely fit in and was totally accepted by, by the black community because she's also black. So I think that I've been really, lucky I think it's really beautiful that black people are very accepting in terms of taking in all of our people all people with with African roots while still of course noting that there's a spectrum of discrimination based on how dark the skin is or how tight the curl pattern is um but I think also with my sister she has um, she has a she has an afro like she has a she has a full-on afro and so that's also why I wanted to do this book and and make sure to include people with 4c hair to show her people who look like her because that's not an example that I can give her personally you know and I think that that's to me it's a very nuanced thing you know because I think you know unfortunately we are a uh for lack of a better phrase, a complex people. <laughs> I think we we have we're not we're gradient. You know, we're not just got to get you only got a three pack of black folks that either gonna sh show up and come out like this, and that is it. You know, we come up, we come up and come in so many different you know shades and different text hair textures we could possess and different body shapes that we could possess. So many different things, and I think you know, and features even you know every single aspect of you know really truly being black is so broad and um if anything you know really speaks to the indigenous nature of our you know existence on this planet and speaks to just you know how how long we've fucking been around 
but I think I don't know. It's it's a very nuanced situation to me, you know. And I, and I think I've always, you know, kept my I guess kept my you know a very you know arm's length reach within that particular conversation because I'm I'm a man of privilege uh, because I'm a man and. I'm, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not. You know, darker skin. So I, I definitely didn't feel like I had a dog in that particular fight. Uh, so I understood, but I feel like I understood what when I needed to speak up and when I didn't. You know, when I needed to kind of sit down and listen and understand this particular perspective that I may genuinely not even ever experience. And I think you know, there's a way to go about it. And I think we shouldn't um, look at um, black people as, I guess solely trying to pander to each other in a way, but truly trying our best to not only find understanding, but to continuously create, you know, connections amongst each other because we are, like I said, are part of this kind of gradient of blackness. Like it's so many different things. And I think your mission and your intention behind the book is what makes it even more valid of a reason to pursue this. And the fact that you didn't put yourself in the forefront you're not you know you ain't diddy in the situation you ain't like <laughs> like like i know i know i know i'm telling you all about all this 4c hair but check me out you feel me the fact that you're <laughs> leading with um pushing up the diversity within women um within black women just specifically you know black women certainly aren't a monolith and by any means or stretching imagination so why not show and dedicate this time and energy and my skills to showing my sister that she is not alone and that, um, and that, you know, the, the life that she's about to, you know, really rev up to live. It's one that's been walked before within, you know, in similar paths. So I, I applaud you on the intention because I think that's what's really keeps you in the space of just, you know, just truly you can't, why wouldn't you support something like that? You know, like you're just really trying to just show that you not only should love yourself, but there are people who have been loving themselves in their skin for a long time. And they may have had the same beginnings of not feeling that way. And that's okay. That's human, you know? I, I remember, and it's not even to get too much into a rant. I remember I was to a podcast, and they said something that was so funny to me, but it's just like how much of, like, a, a crazy situation it is to just come into the world. Like, you were just in this dark place <laughs> for you don't even know how long that's just where you are and then you're just in just brought into this world people are in your face so many things that happen like coming just growing up is truly a experience that we you know play down because it's happened so often it happens all the time we take it for granted but it's so much and it affects us you know differently from person to person but um i i would like to you know pivot to um, a part of the conversation I think is vital because, you know, it's 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 me. And I feel like, you know, I, I believe we should continuously present these particular conversations out. And I'll first ask, you know, if I could get into women's business just a little bit for a little second. <laughs> um, I really think that, you know, I see it all the time. And I think I may have my own kind of built-in skin in the game when it comes to just hair because I actually have hair and I'm not mm -hmm. just, you know, a man kind of cutting his hair off on a, you know, getting a lineup on a on a regular basis. So I actually understand, like, what's having products, things not working, my hair thinning, my hair falling out, bad shampoo, good shampoo, great conditioner, bad conditioner, all those different things. You know, I've done rinses. I've tried to put some mayo and bullshit in my hair. Definitely <laughs> have, you know, got done a little bit of everything to try to keep myself in my own uh, hair health uh, well. But I believe that, you know, we're still dealing with this uh, kind of battle of the sexes um, when it comes to even hair texture. Even when it comes to hair texture, we still are on uh, odds and ends. Where, you know, I've seen, I went to HBCU, and um, there was definitely this kind of splitting down the middle of, you know, men who kind of loved women with weaves and all these different things. And then you have women, you have men who were profoundly and staunchly against weaves. And it was like, you got to be natural. You know, I don't want you. Don't, that's fake. That's not who you are. That's you trying to be a white woman. It's very obtuse and very crazy extremes. And I would love to know, you know, at least from in terms of the, the book and your own experience, um, how that has affected you and how that also has affected a lot of your interviewees as well. The opinions of men 
as uh, when it comes to their hair, hair journeys or their just hair expressions? Yeah. So in the book itself, um, I don't think there's too much about that included, but I did sort of. That's what's up. That's what's up. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, focus on dating. (laughs) But but I have, but some of the women did say um, that they realized, you know, when they went natural, it was now sort of almost a different type of guy who was asking them out, right? And they did see sort of a shift in terms of mm. kinds of the kinds of attention they were getting and like from whom. Really? Speak more about that. Like so it was like guys that I guess that's what they're I'm assuming that's what they like. That's what their preference was. I'm assuming that's what that is. I well yeah, well so the one and I can't I can't really speak to that that much. Um because yeah. I didn't I ever have a relaxer and then do like the switch or anything. Um but one of the women said what did she say she said her natural hair is like quote-unquote loser repellent (laughs) because she said that's how she right because if there are any men who would want her to change her natural hair texture right to be more attractive or whatever right she can automatically get rid of those people who don't see beauty in her natural self you know I, I, that's resonating because I, I, I feel like I've said something similar about my own hair. Just feeling like, I don't know, I feel like my hair tells the truth, like brings the truth out of people. You know, like they may just, because to me it's not a, it's a very backhanded compliment to be like, I never really like locks or I never really like dreads, but I like them on you, you know, or you make you, you're different. Like the way you rock them is, you know, kind of clean cut or whatever, whatever. It's, it's so backhanded you know what i'm saying and i get that i get that and i just feel like people show how they really feel (laughs) when you when you uh present in a particular way that isn't um i guess as common or kind of based in what the current beauty standards are um so so that so would you say that that's never been um a, a topic of discussion or a situation you've ever experienced personally i guess the the topic of your hair and and dating i guess dating um not really i haven't dated that many people and and i've been married for like over four years so (laughs) um but i think not necessarily in terms of my hair but just in terms of being black slash like biracial you know i think that that's something that a lot of women think about right it's like even if it's a black guy a lot of us still question sometimes oh but does he like black women Hmm. (laughs) um Oh shit! There it is. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But you know, it. I literally, because I literally just had a episode last week. You know, where we were speaking on that very topic. You know, and I think, and we we. I love shout out to my guest Chessmore. Uh, I call him Simon Chessmore Simon Montique, who spoke to that. And it's this this idea of you know white women being this prize, and I think, in in result of that, everything closer to that is kind of, you know, put at a different level. So if your hair is straighter and your hair is, you know, closer to that particular texture, uh, and, and also if the skin if the skin goes with it, if your skin is also lighter, then, you know, if, you, if your hair is light and your, your skin is light, then, hey, you know, you get this kind of extra bump and extra kind of, you know, prestige, I guess, for some black men, which is crazy to me. It really, truly is. And I, I, I'll be intrigued by every single time. And I understand... I think I can understand exposure to a certain degree. Like if you grew up in a particular, you know, predominantly white neighborhood and all those different things, that somewhat makes sense to me, but it only makes sense to me while you're there. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of those people that I feel like, you know, who that's the exposure and introduction, a lot of them go to bigger schools, schools that may not be as quote unquote diverse as they can be, but they end up not being around just their own, you know, the same demographic of individuals. And also just going out in the world and just seeing other individuals. And I get it. You may not have the, a very diverse group of people, but damn, like, you ain't never just been out and just seen somebody and been like, damn, like, she is amazing. Like, I need to talk to her. It genuinely feels like it's tunnel vision. If the black men who like white women or, quote unquote, exotic women exclusively, uh, it's, yeah. it's disgusting, you know, because it just feels... I don't know, it just feels so icky to me because it's like, so you saying you genuinely haven't dated somebody 
of the same race, like, <laughs> like of the same race, like, exactly. like I, I, I could get that if you live in Finland, I, <laughs> it may be hard to find, you know, somebody that looked like yourself, but you live in America, you yeah, live in America. Yeah, you live in America, and like most, and you know, everybody can doesn't have that rule. I grew up in a rural town with it was only two, three black people type of story. Like that's not yeah. most of us, but it feels like in major cities specifically, is where we mm-hmm. see it the most of you know um, that particular you know energy. Personally, I'll say it here, and I'll continuously say it. I feel like I'm definitely have said it before. It's trash. I personally wouldn't allow it within my circle of uh, of individuals, and I hope more men um, stand up and speak uh, to that as an issue that really can't be allowed because it's kind of like, what's the point? Because in all honesty, my God, you got hair too. Nine times out of 10, the women that you're rejecting and saying that they need to either change their hair or keep it that way and by any every means necessary, they better keep it that way because that's how you stay down. Personally, I've never cared. Uh, I've, I've been a man with hair for most of my life and um I, I never thought that, you know, I always knew what it meant to me. So I never wanted to impose on what it could mean for who, whoever, whoever else. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you how to be because you're not going to tell me how to be. And trust me, plenty of people have asked me that silly question of, so when you going to cut it? So when you going to, nah, nah, nah. And it's like, wow, what, that annoys me. And that's on a very trivial level. I can only imagine how it feels when someone is literally pressed with a question of like, you know, why do you wear your hair like that? Or, you know, why'd you go and cut your hair? You're like a man or all these very derogatory type of statements. Um, I hope that, I hope that more men are holding other men accountable for this particular energy, because the fact of the matter is shit's really not a preferential thing. It's truly just this bias kind of baked into our perception of what beauty should be when beauty is such a range fellas, if you take your time, I think, you know, I think um, Ulta is going, coming to Target, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Take your time. We just go through the beauty aisles. I know you probably only, you know, use soap and water and things, but um, trust me, go and see about the things. You may need some of that stuff, you damn so. But I really want everyone to understand that there is a now, I'll say now, I will say in the recent years, because it hasn't always been that way. There's so many different shades of makeup, so many different particular, you know, products that are used for particular things and understanding that or just paying attention to who you date they're gonna have it in the house your mom your sister more than likely how in the hell is this something that goes over your head on as to why these things are the way they are but i don't know i don't know it's it's very intriguing to me um one um one thing i would say that is a uh, one of the most interesting things to me that I think parallels when it comes to the idea of having this hair journey um, is that it truly makes you way, you know, have this sense of awareness of yourself, awareness of your surroundings, and also uh, truly almost kind of chronicalizes your literal growth. <laughs> like if you are, if you do a big chop, and you're now trying to discover, you know, how to now, you know, treat your damaged hair and to make your hair more health, more healthy and for it to grow. And you just want to see how, just how it's going to be. To me, I think it's such a, um, a testament of just overall growth. You know, I think it's truly just making you, giving you the tools that you need because you can just oppose those same things to, you know, I w- what I would say, um, just overall personal development, you know, just now that I'm, I'm using products, I'm trying, this doesn't work shifting and assessing what works. And so I can keep it building better habits, keeping that, make sure you got that bonnet on at night, make sure you got that do rag <laughs> on, you know, protecting them edges, you know, all those different things, because you can just oppose that to life. Like if you always are forgetful and if you always, you know, have consistently had these bad habits that really have been affecting your health, um, all those things affect the overall quality of your life and ultimately affect the quality of your hair as well. What would you say um, within the book and, you know, your own personal testimony, I guess, you know, when it came to just the hair journeys that you kind of captured, how that truly is a testament of, you know, discovery within yourself and on, in your own personal development.
Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, several of the women talk about the the patience that's required or that they sort of had to learn, especially, you know, for the women who had had relaxers since they were, you know, little kids. And so some of them talked about having to really just meet their hair for the first time and learn what it likes, what it doesn't like, um, what products it likes, how to comb it, all that stuff, you know? And so they think that's a big thing. A lot of them talked about patience and having to have patience and also having respect and love for your hair, right? Like loving your hair enough to take good care of it and to spend time with it. And one woman talks about um, sort of doing her hair as a form of self-care because it's just her and her hair, right? She can't really be distracting doing other things because she's focused, you know, her hands are in her hair. Um, so, so it's like a form of self-care in that way. I, I like that. I like that. I, I think, you know, would you say that, um, would you say that, you know, because I really do believe that there is this, you know, interesting, you know, action to kind of, you know, make us not really get into who we are and accept who we are and all these different things. And I think it's, it goes hand in hand, you know, when it comes to our hair as well, the tack on quote unquote, you know, black beauty um, and how blackness shows up to me is a, uh, a direct kind of, you know, attack on just how we feel about ourselves and, you know, discovering who we are and what we like and how we would want to present and the things we want to just try on. And I truly, I love, love. It's one of the most magical things that I think, you know, women exhibit on a very low level of magic, just changing your damn hair all the time. You know, like I, I love yeah. this that as an option of like going from short to long braids to, you know, braids to twist, wearing your, your actual hair out, putting a weave in, wearing a wig, changing the color, getting the rinse, yeah. changing it, playing with some textures and things like I love to see that, you know, it, it brings me so much joy uh, because it's like, this is how you showing up. <laughs> it's like, you ain't, you, you can't, you can't keep, you keep them guessing, you know, you, you turning heads, you're looking great with it. And it's, I don't know, it just feels um, so artistic and it feels so cool, you know, and um, I've always admired it. And this is coming from a man who's, had the exact same hairstyle for 12 years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, I, but I've enjoyed the uh, witnessing the journeys, in, you know, that ha have happened in front of me to my friends um, and just what I see online all the time, you know, just seeing there being this new trend of things that, you know, people get into or people bringing things back. And I'm going to ask you this. And trust me, you do not have to take me serious with this, but I truly, truly feel like they need to bring back the updos. I feel like updos. <laughs> it's been time. We know how you know you know style and fashion forecasting exactly. works. It's time. Like they were, they kind of died out well before you know the late kind of you know the late nineties. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. been well over you know a good decade and some change at this point. We might as well <laughs> go ahead and bring them back. I, I think I tweeted a, a while ago. <laughs> I put forty dollars on anybody hairstyle for that. You know what I'm saying? It should still cost that much. I feel like it was about yeah. forty dollars in the nineties. But like, <laughs> I love that. Do you have a particular, uh, I guess, favorite or uh, a hair inspiration, or, or do you kind of just you know truly just follow your own, you know, whatever your hair takes you? Do you have any particular hair people that you follow to get hair inspirations from, either from styles for particular occasions, any of those particular things? too into the influencer culture and what I mean by that is that I don't there's not sort of like a set of influencers who I like religiously follow but whenever I want to do my hair in a special way I'll you know I'll just usually google hairstyles for my hair type um but I do that's something that I do want to do more and that the book sort of inspired me to do too is just sort of play around with my hair a little bit so it's not just always like down or in a ponytail but you know, just trying out new things like, you know, even like Bantu knots or different braided styles. Like I, that's something I would like to get more into. Yeah. You know, get some spiral curls, get the mold up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, um, I appreciate you St. Clair. I appreciate you so much. And, um, 
and I, and I truly uh, applaud you for going, you know, really just not not allowing the, you know, the pandemic to set you back in any way. You literally came out even stronger with a brand new, you know, product with, you know, with really cool, with really cool, you know, a really cool new approach to it. And um, and I think it's going to be received very well, you know, and I'm so glad and I really, really thank you for uh, for finding my podcast in the first place, you know, two years ago, wanting to even, you know, be on the pod, but also um, just making me um, a piece of your overall journey of this, you know, piece of literature that you're putting out that's going to help so many, you know, young black, young black women, young black girls, uh, and hopefully, you know, the fellas too. I, I want, I want, I want us to understand some. If if we are continuously being told that you know we, you know, our community is broken and all these different things, I want us to understand something that so much of that is rooted in us fi- trying to find and root for something very specific. A lot of black men only get up in arms and get excited about things when they feel like it's a black man who is winning in some way, shape, or form, or a black man they can relate to directly in the exact same experience. It's like, yes, this guy who did this, who's from where I'm from, blah, 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 that's my hero, that's it. We have to we have to uh, get out of our own egos. We have to get out of our own, can't be trapped in our masculinity and male identity, that we can't be inspired by stories of, um, of people from our community, you know, um, to understand ourselves. And I know fellas are out here getting that hair done. They get out, they out here getting twists. They keeping that hair out. And I love the trend. I'm glad that more men are like not just sticking to, you know, simple styles like fades and things and just, or, or going bald or, you know, going things like that. But like people are actually growing their hair out, having to keep up with these things. And I bet you don't know what you're doing once you get to a certain point. So you might as well, you know, purchase the book and uh, and also look into all the other ways that you can take care of yourself and uh, and all those things but before I um, before we close it out fully I want to send it on and my send it on portion is my call to action as a uh, portion of the episode and I want you to tell everyone how they can support when when is the book coming out and um, and how how they can support overall everything that you're doing thank you yeah so the book is coming out September 28th 2021 and it will be available wherever books are sold online and in actual bookstores um and so you can go to my website which is www.stclairdietrichjules.com so i'll i'll give it to you so maybe you can write it out um but it's s-t-c-l-a-i-r-d-e-t-r-i-c-k-j-u-l-e-s.com stclairdietrichjules.com and there they can find out all the information about my book and also other things that I'll be doing in the future. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I, I like how you spell that. I might, I might do a little cute, little, you know, little, little, little graphic with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I really, truly appreciate you giving me your time and you coming on, coming back on, you know, yeah, and, um, and I can't, and definitely, definitely, um, I'm definitely going to be, um, looking out for uh, that release date and um, and, and t- encouraging everyone um, to go and purchase the book, to tap in with you and all the things that you do. Um, you can see all of those, you know, links to our website, all those things in the description of this particular video, or if you're listening to this in the description of this episode on whatever platform you're listening on, um, I want to thank everybody for, you know, holding, holding it down with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm, into this, you know, visual aspect of it all. You seem to like it. You didn't know I was cute. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Nobody, because you know, a voice. You people don't know what a voice is gonna look like, and I appreciate that. Uh, but I, but I appreciate everyone who's new. Appreciate everyone who's been around for a long time. Um, I encourage and implore you to go check out the previous episode that I did with Saint Clair as well, just to get the just position of you know in the growth, you know. Uh, just to hear better times, you know, 2019 was who knew that that was the last year of so many years that was going to be normal, you know? So 
I appreciate you. Uh, you can listen to the Simply King podcast everywhere podcasts are streamed. You can follow me at Simply King Pod uh, on IG and follow my follow me personally at Kings underscore Memoirs on all social media platforms. If you enjoy the content, if you like the content, if you need some content like this yourself, you can check out uh, my website at lifeisking.com and, uh, and book a consultation to see how we can make you shine just like this too. And um, I would really, truly appreciate if everyone could share, share, share. Not only like, rate, and review, because I know you're going to do that, but make sure you share because this is family-sized content, and you'll be upset if you don't share a big-ass bag of chips that are family-sized. So I appreciate you. Um, make sure that you support St. Clair, support all the things, and uh, I'll see you next week, all right? This has been the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans, Simply Being Humans. This has been St. Clair. Dietrich Jules and I've been King and this has been Simply King. Peace. Dancing for joy.